Welcome back to the Technician Academy podcast. We appreciate your continued enthusiasm and support. Every other week, our host, ASC Master Technician Richard Young, brings in respected industry thought leaders and the industry thought leaders of tomorrow to share their industry expertise with you. Our guests explain how both the technicians of today and the technicians of tomorrow are being affected by a number of industry changes and challenges. We are thrilled to have Donnie Cipher here with us today. Donnie is a true industry leader with a passion for the future of the automotive industry. He is involved with a number of automotive organizations and publications, on top of co-owning the Cypher Automotive Shop in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Donnie is the Executive Officer of NASTF, the National Automotive Service Task Force, and is a part of many other foundations, so he brings a lot of industry expertise to the discussion. Richard and Donnie talk about a number of things, from Donnie's vast involvement in the industry to the importance of automotive education programs focusing on the strengths of tactile learners. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to our channels and rate us on iTunes. We're definitely open to suggestions and comments, so if there's someone that you would like to hear from, or if you would like to join in on the discussion, feel free to shoot us a message or give us a call. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's your host. Welcome to today's Technician Academy podcast. We're fortunate enough to have Donnie Cipher with us today. He is a co-owner of Cipher Automotive in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. He is an author, an instructor, and he's also the executive officer of NASTEF. Welcome, Donnie. It's great to be here, Richard. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I mean, uh, it doesn't take very long to just do a little bit of research on Donnie Cipher and see that you are on the road and, and doing things for this industry all the time. So thank you for that. Well, it's my pleasure. I don't think there's a better group of people in the world you could work for. So makes it easier. <laughs> so let's let's go back a little bit to the basics. I mean, Cypher Automotive. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you moved into the industry and, and where you're at to where you're at now. Well, um, back in the late 1950s, which for some of your audience is going to sound like medieval times, but um, my grandfather built drag race chassis. They did actually drag race back then. Those guys were really brave because they didn't have things like parachutes and brakes. And, you know, it's crazy. Um, and so my dad got into drag racing and to fund his habit, he repaired people's cars. Well, as it turned out, you know, he met my mom who said, you know, I'm not going to marry you if you're going to go out and kill yourself. So you better find another job. And so he became a full-time uh, shop owner and technician. And so I'm a third generation tech. I, I was building cylinder heads at the shop when I had to stand on a milk crate to reach the bench to do it. And that's just, you know, how we did it. Now, you, you know, I'd be arrested if I did that with my kids, but it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. And, and so Cypher Automotive has been there since 1950. Has it been in the same location all those years? Well, we actually founded the name in 1961 and we've moved three times. We started out in uh, as a shared space with a collision shop and, um, then we moved to a larger facility in 1968. We moved again in 1991, and we've been in the same facility ever since. And actually, we're about to do our third refurb of the of the inside and outside of the place because it's you know got to change the look and make it make it hip every now and then. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I guess you do about any repair that comes in. You don't specialize in any any specific repairs there. Well, we kind of do. We're kind of a weird shop um, because of how long we've been around. We're, we're what I call a dual discipline shop. We work on 1939 to about 1974, and then we pick up again with OBD2 forward. And we're all American, Asian, Volkswagen, and Jaguar. And that's we don't work on any of the other Euro cars. Um, first off, they weren't in our market, and we felt like we were already spread thin enough with, with what we cover. But then, as you say, we do general repair and everything on all of those cars that we work on. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, it's, it's, 
interesting to hear someone say that they they work on 39 to 74 models and then pick up when eek started and moving or obd2 moving forward so uh that does make a pretty broad spectrum of of what you repair so tell us a little bit about the technicians you've got to employ to do that well um we're from the build them yourself kind of approach and so we usually start with young technicians right out of school and I find it to be a really great way to teach them to take what they've learned in school and really solidify those skills with the older cars because there's less electronics involved in them. But a lot of the electrical is real fundamental. So it's the things that they learn. And, you know, when you've got a car that comes in and doesn't charge and it only has three wires you have to deal with, it's less intimidating. Um, so, so we build, we build the kids on old cars and, you know, hydraulic brakes and, all that fun and games, and, and then at the same time, we're trying to move them along with the late models. And, uh, and I've got a couple of guys that, that all they do is old cars, and that's their preference. And uh, one of my senior staff, um, they, they they switch back and forth. I mean, right now, we're putting fuel injection on a 69 Camaro, building a, a restoration engine for a 70 Torino with a Super Cobra Jet 429 in it, and uh, we're working on a Ford Edge alongside it so you know it's just kind of how it works in here well it's entertaining uh, absolutely and i mean uh especially as a young technician i could imagine that 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 is a draw to to want to stay uh because of the the variety of of components and and vehicles that you would get to work on well it's a funny story my my youngest is uh is 22 and he's been with us for uh, going on two years right now and came to us sort of circuitous through other other businesses that just wouldn't put let him learn. He wanted to learn and they wouldn't let him learn. And uh so we brought him in and yesterday he uh he had to do an alignment on a on a sixty six Nova. Gorgeous car, hot rotted up and all that. And and uh he's he's a Subaru kid, right? Because we have lots of those in Colorado. And uh, he drove this Chevy and he came back and he said, I think I just became a Chevy man. <laughs> and uh, he was just in love with his car. He didn't want it to go home. So, you know, it's just, that's, it is an opportunity to, to sort of see everything and, and learn that, you know, no matter how much we change it and add things to it, it's still fundamentally a piece of transportation. Yeah, and that's that's very true. Um, but it is changing, and, and we know that. And obviously, I mean, some of the articles, a lot of the articles you write about and, and your um one of the topics that you you instruct on is is telematics and the connected car how how does that how does a guy go from being a, a third generation shop owner to becoming an instructor well i i credit bill haas with with that um i i had a another side career i was a professional musician um all through my 20s and i grew up playing guitar professionally from when I was about 14. So I, I kind of always had these this two sort of worlds I lived in, the entertainment world and then the, the technical world. And and so uh, several years ago, I was doing a lot of reprogramming well ahead of a lot of others. And Bill Haas called me and said, can you come to CARS and teach a reprogramming class? And how would you do that? And I was teaching Windows to ASA members at that time, just to give you an idea how long ago this was. Um, <laughs> And uh, I said, well, yeah, I think I could do that, but I'm going to have to show them how to use a computer first and, um, you know, and then how to even set up the machines. And, and so that, that's got it started. And then what happened is I've always kind of had this IT sort of approach to the classes that I teach. You know, there's these great instructors out there that are very, very technical and they know all that stuff, but they don't necessarily have the, the desire or maybe techniques to teach the IT side of it. So I sort of saw that as my niche and, um, and people kept calling and saying, Hey, can you come teach this? And so, so that's sort of how it evolved. And then of course, as the cars got more involved, as I was, um, on the board of directors for automotive service association, I I kept telling them, you know, I'm going to these conferences and I'm straight up scared for our industry. If they don't start paying attention now, and um, so, you know, for the last six years, I've been teaching advanced vehicle technologies in a sort of 
I keep adding on to the, the knowledge uh, as we go along and so give them a little bit more and give them a little bit more. And I mean, now we're to the point where we're showing them network interaction between the sensors and the other components of the vehicle. And we're breaking down the sensor in not just this is a radar and this is what it does, but this is a radar and this is what it thinks and this is how it works. And this is the decision trees that are involved. And uh, so, so that's really fun for me, and, and it's bringing that IT piece back around. So, I, I don't know. I just always been into computers and electronics. So, well, and and I've been fortunate enough to see some of your your training classes, and and um, you know, I I mean, where do you find the time to develop that that training course? I mean, because that that takes some time. Yeah, it, it takes me on average after I've got the whole concept outlined in my mind and I've, and I've researched it. It takes, you know, 20 to 40 hours to build a presentation that's pretty and is effective. And then I, you know, I always go out and pre-teach it. Um, you know, I, I've got this, <laughs> got these guys in Colorado that are willing to be my pilots and they know how to, they know how to now say, yeah, I didn't get that part or that's really good, but could you do more of this? And so, I always do a pre-teach before I actually take it out to industry. And, you know, so these guys always get my, you know, somewhat disoriented thoughts once in a while, but, um, it just takes, it just takes some time. And then, you know, my wife will be the first one to tell you that, um, he's off in the dungeon building a class and I did three for world pack and, uh, I really bit off more than I should have. Um, cause I think I spent the better part of a month in the basement building three presentations that we're already kind of done. <laughs> that's just how it goes. Well, but that's good to, you know, have that group of, of I'm going to call it an advisory board. Uh, that's right. To, to bounce that off of before you actually turn it loose into the, into the mainstream. Uh, that just yeah. adds to the, perf- to the perfection. I mean, obviously no um, presentation is perfect, but, I mean, that helps you get to that point of, of bringing quality information at a, at a level that can be digested. I think that's extremely important. Um, I mean, we've all seen instructors that deliver such a, a high level that, you know, some of the attendees kind of fade away and, and lose interest. So, uh, yeah, I commend yeah. you on that. Well, I always tell the guys, I say, if I start seeing you do that dog thing where you're tipping your head and looking at me, I am probably missing the mark. And uh, so. So you, you, and you're also an author. Uh, You've written several articles for different publications. Um, Again, is that part of your research whenever you're developing a class to, oh, this would make a good article or how does that, how do they come along? Oh, well, so the articles are basically my impatience at wanting to get this information out. And so the various magazines that I've written for over the years are sort of my outlet for, I learned this new thing and I really have to get it out and tell everybody about it. And so a lot of times you'll, if, and you've seen my classes, so, so you know a lot of times I will take a concept in an article and that concept will actually be in the class, but I just have more time to expand on it. And so, you know, that's kind of where, where the articles come from. And, uh, and I developed a, a pair of series of ASE test prep guides many years ago. And that's really what got me into the writing thing more. And, and after I did those, I kept getting, can you write this article? Can you write this article? And, and then I just said, can I just get a column? So I consistently know what it is I need to deliver. And, uh, I can't seem to get an editor to like give me a schedule and say, here's what I want you to do. They're always just like, ah, do whatever you're seeing out there and we'll figure out where to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you know, you got to have it available, but uh, not really sure. And, and that really truthfully in this industry, that's, that's a good freedom to have because uh, oh, awesome. as you, as you're well aware, I mean, things can change within a very short period of time and, and being spooled up and ready to, to address those is extremely important. Oh yeah. Well, Jim Merle and, and Andrew Markell at, at Babcocks, you know, I, I, I sat down with them and said, okay, what do you want me to write about this year? And he both looked at me like, how are we going to know that? And, uh, so, okay. So what do you want me to do? And it's like, well, if you're going to this event, you'll probably learn something, which is always the case. And, you know, so write it. 
And uh, so sometimes they wind up getting written well in advance of when they fit. But but by and large, they just let me run. And uh, it is, it's a lot of fun to be able to do that. And I'm going to go into an event in a week where it's all telematics. It's all connectivity and cybersecurity. And I'll probably walk out of there with six articles worth of information and notes in my phone. And, uh, you know, then I just figure out what to do with it when I get home. That's great. And, and truthfully, that, that is a, a good thing for the rest of us in the industry to, to get those articles and, and absorb them as your items. So, and in, in a timely manner. Yeah. I, I like the translation. I, I, I really like the opportunity to take the IT world, who quite frankly doesn't get us in case, you know, your listeners don't know that. They don't understand auto repair. Um, in fact, most of them aren't even aware that there's an independent sector of the industry that repairs most of the cars on the street. And so, you know, they're telling us these stories and about how cars are going to be. And then I get to translate that into, or at least through my vision of the world, say, so I think this is what's coming at you. And and I think you should be prepared for it. And then at the same time, in my, in my sort of other things that I do, I also get an opportunity to be in front of those folks and say, "Um, did you know that 70 or 80% of the cars are repaired by somebody other than the dealer? And, and and that's always fascinating to them. That sometimes I can't even get away from them after a presentation because they don't know about us. Yeah, yeah. That, there is a definite disconnect there. I, I agree with that. Uh, so, in these articles, how important is it for today's technicians, and, and not just Donnie Cipher's articles, but uh, how important is it for today's technicians and shop owners to to pick up? a monthly publication or, you know, uh, be a part of a Facebook group or IATN, how important it is for them to do that as a regular task throughout the, throughout the week? Oh, you know what? I'll tell you, if if you're a young tech and you're listening to this and you're, and you're going to school, a lot of times what the instructor says maybe doesn't make sense to you because the instructor's giving you the big world picture. But when you pick up a magazine, I mean, I've got one right in front of me right now just talking about how to use a power probe and, and how to use a DVOM, but it's specific items that this technician, who's also a writer, um, put down. If you take one of these and you listen to your instructor who's saying, this is really important, you need to understand electronics, and you roll through, I mean, I'm, I've got motor in my hands right now, you roll through that. Almost every single article's got something to do with electricity in it. So to get that real world sense of this is how I would actually use that test. You know, it's the same thing with STEM programs in schools, and I'll try not to get ahead of us, but, but until you can tie that learning to something that most of us are tactile learners, we have to touch it and feel it to learn. Until you do that, it doesn't compute, I think, in a lot of cases. And, and that's, that's that piece that you can get, you know, read the article, use your eyes, because that's a great input to learn from, but then actually take it to the, to a car and, or, and just try some of these things and go, wow, that's how it works. Yeah. It's uh you're right. I mean, the, the young people that are listening to this, uh, young technicians, I mean, they are hands-on type learners and uh, I've experienced that. Like I said, technician Academy does a lot of, uh, training classes at community college level. And then we're getting ready to start a uh, middle school program, uh, introducing those that age of students to the automotive industry. So uh, they are very, uh, for lack of a better term, they need to put their hands on it. And um, yeah. whether they're going to become automotive technicians, you know, you may have 10 middle schoolers and, and all of them enjoy it, but they may not all going to be uh, in the automotive industry. They may become plumbers. They may become pipe fitters, uh, you know, different skilled trades, but they all learn the same way as far as putting their hands on it. So it's, it's, that is important. Absolutely. Well, and that's right. And, and don't let that, for those of you listening, don't let anybody ever tell you that because you're a tactile learner, there's something wrong with that because tactile learners, are guys like Einstein. I mean, they had to touch something, feel something, and then 
be able to use their other learning techniques to to fill out the whole picture. So if you have trouble with you know with visual or you have trouble with listening and and, and you don't like to read, when you start putting your hands on something, you're like, I gotta go back to the book and see how this thing works. And it's just you use the one that you're best at to expand the others and then they all get better. So um, I, I just am frustrated that sometimes we, we make tactile learners out to be somehow or another inferior, in my opinion. They're better. I, I would say yes, uh, they are. Uh, because for lack of a better term, they're more rounded in, in what they learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they take all those skills. And they, like you say, they may be better at one over the other, but then they incorporate the others that may they may be a little weaker on to learn the entire uh, how it operates, how how it functions, or you know the the theory behind the way it operates. So using all yep. those pieces, yep. it's hard to have a visual or audible learner and teach them to be tactile. It's very hard to do that. It's much easier to teach a tactile learner how to do the other things. Yeah. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So, I mean, so many things that's going on. I mean, before the, we started the recording the podcast, we was talking and you talked about how you're going on the plane quite a bit and traveling. Uh, you know, you're the executive officer, executive officer of NASTEF. Tell the listeners what NASTEF is. Well, in a nutshell, NASTEF, our mission, we're made up of the automakers, the aftermarket associations, uh, 17,000 technician members of NASA, and the tool folks pretty much covers it. We've also got committees that are involved with heavy duty and, and collision, which are still just extensions of all of those groups. But when there's a hole in information or there's a piece of tooling information that's not available, or there's an education issue, which we all know we've got. Those are the areas that NASDAQ focuses on. And we apply this cross-industry group to work on those issues. And and a lot of times it's just simply, as I said to you before we started, you know, I've got four technicians I support here at the shop. Um, I just consider the other 16,996 as the rest of my technicians that I support. Um, you know, they send me an email, they call me, they put in a service information request, and then I try to help them find that information or talk to the OE so that they can stay at work and say, hey, did you know this isn't available? And the OE will say, well, that's just because we put it over here. And so, and then they usually reach out to that shop directly and say, here's where you find it. So as in your position as the executive officer, then you might say that you're kind of the liaison between the actual service repair industry and the manufacturers. Well, it is definitely one of the perks of the job, if you will, um, that I, I get to work with some of the best folks in the industry that work at automakers. And I get to work with some of the best folks in the industry that work in with the aftermarket. I mean, my board of directors, you know, they, they'll blush when I say this, but you go down that board of directors and look who they are. It's one high-powered group of folks, and uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, you can reach out to some of them, and they have the knowledge right there when you say, how do we solve this? Oh, well, you just do this. It, it's awesome. So, yes, that's, that's pretty much the, the NASDAQ's mission is to be that go-between and that translator of, I understand sort of how OE cultures work because I spend a lot of time with them, but I also understand how a repair shop works. And so I get an opportunity to bring the two together. And there's just not anything that's much more fun than having a tech go. You mean I could do that all along and I didn't know about it? Yeah. Uh, and that's true. And I've experienced that uh, personally as a technician, uh, you know, in dealing with trying to get information from an OE manufacturer. So, yeah, it's uh, so you're you're shortening up that that learning curve a little bit, you might say. And uh and bringing that your experience with both sides of, of the table uh bringing it together and, and helping solve those those critical issues that uh maybe the information's out there just nobody knows where to find it 
and and that's a lot of times the case. You know, you you've got um, a manufacturer who calls reflashing coating, and if you're not experienced in the Euro field where they talk about coating, like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean a trouble code or just what does that mean? And and so when you're looking up information, sometimes you don't know where to go because you really don't know what their culture and and you know, the particular acronyms and names they use for things are. And so, you know, that's that's where oftentimes we can help with that. And um and then I'll get a piece of information, for example, uh, uh just recently Kia came out with a new piece of 2534 software to replace one that was causing technicians to think they had killed an engine computer, which is an expensive thing to think when you try to fix it, and then you kill a second one. Um, and it turned out it was just a missing instruction in the software and a, a little tweak here and there in the in the information. And so I pushed that out through all the channels that we have, and I started getting emails back like, Wow, you know I bought two computers, hmm. and you're like, ah, oh, and that hurts. But um, but that and that was all driven by a technician that's really sharp. Don't necessarily have to be really sharp, but he was. Sent me an email and said, "There's a problem with the software, and I'm pretty sure that it's fixable." And we got Kia involved. Turned out they were already working on it, and. Um, their their supplier that makes the software, three of them put their head together, and about a week and a half later, they said, publish this out there, tell everybody we got it fixed, and they need to delete what they've got now and download the new version, and off we go. And that's just one example of the kinds of things that are possible when everybody's working together. So for our listeners, is can any technician be a member of, of Nestef? Absolutely. Um, and, and the best part is the price. It's free. <laughs> yeah, you just go on our website and you fill in all the information and um, and, and you're, a, you're a member. There is a second component, though, just so that there's no confusion. We have the Vehicle Security Professional Registry that NASDAQ manages. And it is it brings the ability for technicians who are doing security-related work, which anymore can be reflashing, replacing a key, some components of the vehicle when they're replaced have to involve security access to the network. Um, so we have a program that allows technicians to be background checked and registered and receive a credential that allows them access to those codes and immobilizer information that they need to do that work when they're replacing these components. And, and this also is, works for locksmiths. And that piece is something that NASDAQ um, runs for the OEs that participate in it, which is most of them. And and that has a fee. It's three hundred seventy-five dollars for two years. And uh, but but regular NASDAQ membership is free. And um, I, I won't come to your house, and I won't send you all kinds of things. But we do send out a few emails. Um, it depends on what's going on. I don't send them on any schedule. If there's an announcement from an OE that we're going to take our website down for a few hours. And so, you know, if you need to use that that particular day. Don't be using it in this time period or it won't work. Um, or, you know, we've got a new software update or you know, whatever they may be doing. Um, I, I push that information out in really short little pieces because technicians have work to do. They don't have time to read a four-page novel. They just need, here's what you need to know. Here's a link to get it and off you go. Yeah. And for the listeners, I mean, we're saying NASTF, but it's National Automotive Service Task Force. And, you know, okay. I, I highly recommend, I mean, I, I've joined a couple of years ago um, and, and there is key components, that, information that comes to you uh, for for difficult, sometimes difficult fixes that, uh, you know, like you was talking about on the, on the processor situation where, uh, you do and you believe you're doing everything right, but uh, there's just one little piece that's missing and you're not aware of it. Yeah. Well, humans build cars, so things are going to happen. Now, what component does NASTF have with educators and instructors? What 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 are what's available to them? So we have a number of things that um, we link out to all of the training on the OE website that's available, but. 
we have an initiative that we are working on right now that it seems a little monumental, but we I think we're getting somewhere with it. And uh, a few years back, uh, one of our board members at the time, Mark Saxenberg, who was with Toyota at that time, he's retired and now he's our chairman. But Mark coined this phrase, road to great technicians. And the, and the core idea behind road to great technicians is that any individual who's leaving a Votech school, we would like to ultimately see them have a skill set that is employable the minute they leave, but not so big. Because what happens right now is we try to teach them everything, right? I'm on the ASE Education Foundation Board of Directors for students. You might know it as NATEF um, because this name change is still pretty fresh. Um, and I'm on that board. And one of the things, the, the way I landed on the board was I complained too much about what we were teaching. And Trish Serator said, if you're going to complain, you have to participate. So, um, so I did. And what we, what we're looking to do is to narrow that scope because you know what happens. The kids come out of school, they're expecting to make a hundred thousand dollars a year because that's what they were told. And they get there and they're like, I, I can't do this stuff. I mean, here, the shop owner hands me a repairer and says, fix this car. And I didn't know what he's talking about. And we set them up for failure. And if you look at the numbers, we lose half of them by the second year. Well, that's just wrong. We've got these folks that want to be in our industry, whether they're boys or girls or whatever. I mean, and, and we lose them. And, and that's, just, that's just a travesty and it's wrong. And so we felt that we couldn't handle this whole thing. So we put this industry group together and the Votech piece, there's all these great people like you and others that are working on the Votech piece and ASE Education Foundation is out there and we're working with Tech Force to help um, expose more of this to middle school um, influencers of these potential students and, and identify those tactile learners early on before they get tagged as you know bad students. And um, that sort of thing. And then NAFTA's picking up with Road to Great Technicians at the point at which that student leaves school and they've got this two-year, four-year certificate that says, I'm an entry-level technician. We want to get them onboarded properly because the industry is terrible at that. Whether it's a dealer or it's, or it's an independent, none of us are good at it. We just bring them in and need to throw them a broom or, or put them on the lube rack for two years. And they're like, well, I could have flipped burgers and done this. Um, and so we are building out a career path with expectations of regardless of whether you work in a BM dealer, a BMW dealer, or you work at Cypher Automotive, these skills should be expected and mastered before you move on to the next level. Um, because I, I don't know about your education, but obviously the way I learned was dad said, go fix it. And it was a school of hard knocks. And so you wind up with holes in your knowledge. There's some things you really know well because you got your tail feathers burned. But then there's other things that you just never exposed to. So you really don't know that. And that kind of makes it so that you've got holes in your knowledge base that, that can make you make wrong decisions. And so we think if if we can really get techs up to speed on the foundations of maintenance and electricity from birth, from day one, so that as they come out into the industry, they already understand those things, then we can add on to their skills and build them much more rapidly because they may not stay in the industry, to your point, for you know 20 years. They may be five and then decide, I want to be a field service engineer or, or I want to go back to school and and change to another part of the industry. And I may not be a technician for as long. So we have to build systems that bring young folks along faster, make them make money earlier, and and you know, not have them at burger flipping wages after they've got all this investment in tools and equipment and don't even get me started on the tools and all that. But <laughs> you know, that that's just sort of what what we're trying to do with Road to Great Technicians. And then at the very end of it. We're also looking at that final career path. What do guys like you and me do when we're not fast enough to turn a wrench and, and be productive? Are we just going to flush them out because that's what we do now? Or can we show them all the other opportunities that exist as, you know, support and mentors and, and other things that the industry would have value for if we actually created the need for them? 
you hit on so many points there that I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's one of the things. I mean, Chris Chesney, and you know that he's been saying it for for years in front of people. We have to show these young people a career path. So it's good to see mm-hmm. that the, the organizations, uh, ASE Education Foundation and NASDAQ, working together uh, to help these young technicians see a career path. I mean, it is amazing to me. I mean, having been in hundreds of uh, community college automotive programs over the last six years, uh, it is amazing to me how many young people are wanting and are excited about the industry when they're at that community college. And then when they get out, and, and I'll check back with them or I'll be back in that town or, or at that program in a couple of years and I'll ask about a specific student and they're like, well, he worked down at the dealership or over at the repair shop for you know a year and he, he went and done something else. And I was like, yeah. several of them are like, I, I mean, these were talented people, talented young people that yeah. really could fill a need in the industry and, and they left. And, uh, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned the Lubrac. I mean, that is a pet peeve of mine. Um, you know, everybody starts out on the Lubrac. I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad. Uh, but keeping a talented individual in the Lubrac is a recipe for failure. And, uh, you know, because they are tactile learners, they want the challenge they want to get their hands on more than just a drain plug and a filter wrench that's right yeah well you know the other thing too is that this generation and even the last let's say 18 20 years of of techs they don't have the patience to what chris says it says it real well to, to pay their dues and quite frankly we don't have time for them to pay their dues. We need them up to speed faster. We're, we're already up against uh, you know some issues where there's new technology coming out that they were born with it in their hands. And, and so, so many things just come natural to them that if we can help them connect the dots for the things that don't come natural to them, but due to you know us that have been around for a while. I mean, what a perfect marriage of skills to pass it along to this to this next group of techs come along and say, you know, I know you can like do things with a cell phone that probably are illegal, um, but uh, I can do things with a car. And let me take what you know and expand it so you can connect what you know to that. And I mean, imagine how much faster we could move. That's always been the problem, right? That young folks and the old folks don't learn from each other. And and, and I would say that the, the keystone of my entire career is all those guys that are my mentors, most of them are 10 to 20 years older than me. And I've always had an, an older mentor base. That, and I mean, why would you let those guys go? Well, and it goes back to what you were saying. I mean, there is so much talent that leaves this industry every year that has that, that mentorship in them. Uh, you know, creating that marriage between them and that new tech coming into the shop. Uh, I can't hardly believe that it's not a win. It may not be a win-win for the, the first year for that shop owner, but definitely, you know, in the second and the third year, uh, you know, you're growing a technician and you mentioned Cypher Automotive grow kind of has that theory of growing your own. I mean, that's how you do that. Uh, and, and it's got to be a win-win. Yeah, it's it's just going to take a culture shift for a lot of repair shops. You know, I I'm involved at a lot of both local and national levels, and uh, you know, I was at a meeting the other night about our emission program, and I listened to two shop owners going back and forth about, oh, it is so hard to hire good techs. Duh, it's because you can't hire them; you need to make them. And I didn't say anything because you know it was it's an uphill battle. Um, I get emails all the time. If you know a good tech looking for work, I'm like, I know a whole bunch of kids looking for work. You just need to figure out how to make your model work around what they can do when they come in. And then you need to have a very controlled environment so that they can learn fast and, and you can, 
expand their abilities. And that's what NAFTA is trying to do. We're not trying to tell the industry how to educate. We're taking this group, which is from manufacturers. And, and of course, you know, you, you know, most of them, Jill Saunders from Toyota is one of our fearless leaders. And Rob Morell is the other one from, from Worldpack. And Chris Chesney's on this, Scott Brown's on it, Bill Haas, Mark Saxonberg, I mean, and Mark Warren, the, the list goes on and on and on of the folks that are involved in this. Trish Sarator from ASE. And we're building this program together with a framework that says, here's what they need to learn. Now, all of you that do training, hang your training in the appropriate spot on this and let's get busy figuring out how we could deliver it. Um, because then a shop owner who's not experienced in the industry, and, and there's a lot of those, right? You know, there's more of them coming along more now than ever. We run, know how to run a business, but don't know how to vet or build a technician. They can say, look, the, the industry says we need to check these boxes. And if you check these boxes and pass these tests, I am safe to tell my customers that you can do this work. And it doesn't matter whether you're working on, I'll say it again, a BMW or you're working on a Toyota. Either way, you know, we should be able to expect a level of, of skill. And those technicians should be provided with the knowledge they need so that they can deliver that and not feel like second-class citizens because, well, I don't know how to do this and all these smart old guys around me aren't helping me. Yeah, and 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 that is it is a dangerous mentality that that a young technician can slide into. Uh, and you mentioned something there. I mean, do we need a focus uh, or a part of a focus on educating shop owners on the new technicians? I mean, depending on the age of the shop owner, uh, you know whether the more than likely they used to be a technician. Uh, they worked in the Bay and they got some business classes, hopefully, and, and become a successful shop owner, but they're not used to, I mean, there was a time when technicians, you could find a technician and you didn't have to grow your own. So educating that shop owner is extremely important. I believe. No, I, I think you're right. And one of the things, uh, I, I got an opportunity to speak at the Worldpack conference uh, in front of all the instructors, and I told all the management instructors, my challenge to you, NASDAQ's challenge to you is you need to figure out how to write programs that help shop owners figure out how to monetize a young technician so they can pay them better, so that we can bring them in at 20 bucks an hour and, and not lose our butt on it. Um, you know, for an extended period of time because it's not sustainable in a small business, even in a dealership environment. It's not sustainable to have too many folks that don't effectively generate the revenue that it costs to have them there. And, you know, I, so I think that that piece is very right. We need to be able to give them the tools to do that. Um, but the other thing is, and I think Trish Serator puts this really best, is Shop owners who, who started out as technicians did, they learned differently. And because it was a slower paced world then, and, and now it's very fast paced and there's lots of distractions, even in their world. I and mean, you try to get them out for training, they've always got an excuse about what they have to be at. And, you know, and I always ask, well, is that really important to your career and your family moving forward? Then you go to that thing as opposed to making yourself better. And, you know, sometimes maybe yes, sometimes maybe no. Um, but Trish says, you know, that the, the new generation of techs, they don't think like you do, they don't act like you do, and they don't look like you do. They're, they're a different breed, but, you know, when you get a chance to be with them, and, you know, and I've mentioned the Wheat Ridge STEM program everywhere I go because, you know, I'm part of that program and I'm in love with all those kids, you can't help but get excited. And, you know, you got a complete mix of kits. You've got everything in there, all different socioeconomic deals. You've got all kinds of education. Some are good students. Some aren't great students. But, man, they work their tail off. And and at the end of the day, they're better at everything they, they tried to do. Well, and, and, and I agree with that. I, I've been uh, some acquaintances and, and have experienced some outstanding STEM programs and you know, even students, CTE students that uh, at the college level. And and that's what I tell people, you know, if you're a little bit down about this industry and you, you're kind of, 
well, where am my next technician going to come from? Where, where am I going to get my next employee to work in the Bay? Come watch these STEM students and, and these young people in college and watch them and just talk to them because 98% of the time you're going to walk away from that inspired that, Hey, I, I know where my next employee is coming from. Right. Yeah. And, and right now you're just developing them. You can't, you can't put your hands on, you know, like the, the kids at, at Wheat Ridge High School, which is good high school in my, in my city. I'm actually a Wheat Ridge alum. I grew up in the same area as I work. Um, those, those kids, I can't say, well, you're going to be my technician. So what I'm doing is saying, if you've got an automotive interest, let me help you develop that. They may or may not be my techs. They may be somebody else's. But at the end of the day, it's somebody new in the industry. And it's somebody that's excited about cars and gets the engineering point of view, which is just so important with what's coming at us. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and, and we, we've kind of hit on it a little bit, but I've got a pretty poignant question that I ask a lot of people. Have we as an industry been very good or very poor at representing what we actually do on a day-to-day basis when repairing customers vehicle? Well, I would say, let me answer this with a scenario. I brought the We Ridge kids to cars in Vegas at Apex last year. They stood up in front of about 70 professional repair shop owners and industry folks, and somebody asked them, well, have you considered the automotive industry? And our uh, our young, at this point, she was a junior, who um, runs the five-axis CNC mill at Uyghurs High School, said, well, no. He said, well, why? Well, no one ever came and talked to us about it. So if, if we're not talking to the kids, I'm pretty sure we're not doing as good a job as we ought to with their parents either because their parents still had this whole stigma about us. Um, and, 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 you know, there's the exceptions. If you've got customers that respect you and, and understand what you do, they may come to you and say, my kid really seems to be into this whole mechanical thing. But are they saying, can he come work for you or she come work for you? No, they're like, well, you know, what, what could they do in college? Like, well, I don't know. We can raise more college kids who are massively in debt, or, or we can raise some kids who will keep America going the direction it needs to go. Yeah, and and that's one thing, and, and you mentioned it there, but we, it, it just drives me crazy that there's a lot of students out there, and I see it at the grade school level, and, and even at the high school level, that really have never thought about the automotive industry as a career. And and I stress that word and I could underline it, put it in bold, however parentheses around it as a career, because we as an industry and when I, and it used to drive me crazy, I would be somewhere and someone would say, well, the industry needs to do this. Well, the industry needs to do that. We are the industry and, and you're, mm-hmm. you're a shining example of how, an individual changes and helps direct an industry. I mean, you're, you're not sitting on the sides and, and, and saying, well, the industry needs to do this kind of like you was talking about how Trish, uh, recruited you for, for being on the ASE education foundation, you know? Um, so you, you were saying something and I think it's extremely important to get past the stigma of this industry. Isn't Barney, or a Gomer Pyle anymore. I mean, we we are a very uh, technical, a very task-driven, analytical uh, a group of individuals in the in the repair industry, and then showing them the career paths uh, that's beyond that. I mean, you can be in the, in a bay for five, ten years, and then move into something else still within the industry. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what I'd say if you're if you're young and you're listening to this and you're in and you're you're working your way into you know a repair facility, you want to find out how important technicians are in the real world. Go to a dinner party in a suit and have somebody find out that you're a technician. You'll become the center of conversation. 
they'll leave the doctors and the lawyers alone. They want to hear about what you know about their car. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I've experienced this more than once. I did a presentation just recently for our business association talking about advanced vehicle technology that's coming to them. And, you know, obviously not at a high technical level, but at a, you know, did you know the cars can do this? And you may be driving one that does it right now. And I couldn't get, I could, it took me an hour after the meeting to get back to the shop. <laughs> well, and, but that's a good thing because, and I think there needs to be yeah. more people, individuals like yourself. I mean, there, there's people out there uh, maybe not necessarily to your level of being able to present, but they can represent the industry in a positive light that I think we've sadly missed for the last 15 years. Yeah. Well, and if you, if you want to have fun, if you want to make your day, go to a group of elementary kids and show them pictures of new concept vehicles and, and talk to them about what cars can do because they don't know. They sit in the back seat and, and say, you know, did you know that, you know, when your mom has to hit the brakes, Here's everything that's going on behind the scenes to make sure that she doesn't run into that car in front of her if, you know, she's busy yelling you over the back seat. And it's absolutely a scream. And, and, you know, and don't forget to ask them along the way. So what do you think? Would you like to work on these things? I had this tiny little fifth grader in one of my classes, just as cute as could be. And she said, I would be perfect for that because I'm small and I can get into tight spots. I'm like, go on, sister, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is refreshing to hear their feedback and, and the way they look at things, which is from a totally different perspective than me or you will look at it or their parents or, and, and I think one weakness is I think we need to take all the high school counselors and bring them in to a meeting across the regions of the United States and, and educate them on what this industry is. Oh, well, my son just graduated eighth grade last night and on, he is totally techie. Um, he winds his own electric motors for entertainment and things like that. And his deal on there, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to go to college and become an electrical or mechanical engineer, which is great. But I'm thinking, so he hangs around with me. And I said, so what do you think one of those guys makes? Well, I don't know. What do you think I make? I don't know. I make more than they do because I have three or four jobs. And you know, I like them all. Yeah. Really? Had no idea. No yeah. idea. I mean, you know, that's not something we really, we, we, we don't drive our kids based upon income. We drive them on doing something that they'll love. And, uh, you know, but I, you know, I was looking at that, and, and part of me was, you know, the proud papa that he wants to be an engineer. But the other part was like, so at, in eighth grade, they've already indoctrinated him that the only way to be successful is to go to college. And, and without a doubt, the only way to be successful is to get education, because you can't do any of these careers, and particularly not ours, without some preamble education for a few years. But uh, I'm just, you know, that, that you're right. You're absolutely right. And in the, the counselors don't understand, so they fall back on what they do understand. Right. And and to their credit, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good counselors out there. I was just reading a, a, a mm-hmm. study on some CTE programs, and on average, there is one counselor for per 490 students in the United States. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it, it's unfathomable. I mean, there's no way that they can. And like you said, I think they fall back on what they know to have the position they have. They've, they've had to get an education in a specific, uh, field and, and it required going to college. Um, not to say that an automotive technician doesn't go to college. I mean, I know some great four year automotive programs that do an outstanding Mm -hmm. job. And I know some great two year programs that really, do an outstanding job of getting that technician, that future technician, uh, started on the right path and building foundations for him. I I completely agree. Well, but the other thing is, and this goes back to something you said earlier, we don't give those counselors something to work with. 
and colleges are like, here, they can learn this, they can learn this, this is what we do, this is our focus. But do you see skills-based industries putting stuff in their hands and saying, we don't want the kids who can't get this stuff. We actually need the ones who might also think about being doctors and engineers because our job is harder. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and, and that is, that is very true. Uh, we talk about doctors and lawyers and, and such, and, and we need those. I am not discounting that value of, of a position in the mm-hmm. industry or in the world, but, uh, you know, we need to realize as industry being in this industry that, that we need those students that have that brilliance to be able to look past, you know, okay, there's, this is a LIDAR system and, but we can diagnose it, but what's it really doing? Think about how it's actually connecting to the car and to the, you know, how that's working within the, the data stream to, to connect to the car sitting beside it. And, uh, you know, this, those type of thought processes requires some, some individuals with some outstanding talent. Yes. They have to be able to think just think what would happen if we took half of the folks that, that went for law degrees, cause you know, they can't seem to all find enough work, but those people who can break things down and think of them from different angles and have those sort of diagnostic critical thinking minds to begin with. What if we put half of them into the repair and diagnosis part of our industry? Oh. They'd have work. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. They would have, they would have all the work they, they wanted. I mean, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely a great conversation that we were bringing up and some great points that you're bringing. You know, I, how do we, um, how would you address or how would you, if, if you had the opportunity and, and you've obviously had the opportunity at different levels, but if you had a group of young people, uh, high school students that, um, in today's in the, or in today's world that necessarily have been indoctrinated that thinking that only a four-year college will do, what would you say to those students? What would you say to those young people about this industry? Well, first off, because I know how their parents think, I would show them the money. Um, you know, telling them that they're going to make $100,000 when they get out of school is an unrealistic expectation. And I think parents know that. And that's why they just blow it off. But I think that if you look at the cost of completing the Botex program and you complete that, you get out, you start to work in an environment that is good, one that's that's moving you along, and you're putting $100 a month away. I did the numbers um, for Matef a, a couple, three years ago and said, you know, here's the numbers. Our kid retires at 52, a millionaire, just given the, the scope of where things go, because he's paid off his debt and is making money. And, and forgive me for just saying he girls because we want you yes. as well. Um, but that individual has paid off their debt and to learn and they've saved enough that quite frankly, they could retire at an earlier age. And all it takes is just a little bit of discipline uh, to do it. And my mom said this to me many years ago when, when I went to my, my first class reunion, she said, you're going to be surprised. A lot of your friends that went to college are not making as much money as you are. And, uh, she was right. Yeah. And by, and by year 10, we kind of gotten to where we were, um, we were in parity by where we're at now. I'm ahead of most of them. Yeah. That is a very true statement. I mean, and that, that speaks volumes to their parents. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think if you get that, but, but as far as the, as the, the kids go that are in these programs, um, your best bet is that you can't wait for us to come to you. You're a generation that goes out and finds information and does what, does what you think is right. You need to do that here, too. You need to come out to us. It's not that we don't want to. It's that we're so busy trying to keep our businesses going and getting cars repaired and back in customers' hands that, you know, you need to do what some of the guys that have worked for us over the years have done. And they just showed up and said, hey, 
I'm interested in what you do because you'll find there's a lot of shop owners who, um, after you do your homework and find out who's the best and who you, you know, who would be willing to help with your training and your education. Cause I think that's part of it, right? We need to get them in school for a little while and then bring them out and do the real world stuff with them and then put them back in school. And then, you know, if they want to learn engines, great. Let's learn engines after five or six years in the industry when we're making good money and we can afford to go back to school. And, and you know, and then that's a piece we do. I just think we teach stuff at the wrong times, but it, you need to come to us and say, Hey, I'm, I live in your neighborhood and, you know, I, I'd like to check out what you do. I think anybody who's a quality shop owner is going to say, come on down, have a look. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, that's, that gets that young person, uh, kind of, kind of feeds off their curiosity. And, and my experience is if you take someone who is a tactile learner, we continue to talk about that, but if you add in an element of curiosity, uh, it's unbelievable how far they can go. Mm -hmm. I I agree. Especially in this industry. Yes. So Donnie, I mean, I have taken up a lot of your time here and, and, and you're a very busy gentleman and, and I have, deeply am thankful for for you giving us that time uh giving me and the listeners that time but we have talked on so many topics that i mean I, i've already written down a few notes of of future podcast uh you know if, if you'll entertain it in the future but one thing that i i always want i want to leave the listener with is what my guests see as closing thoughts, what, what's the future of this industry bringing and where do you believe it can go? Well, I think that our current model has a three to five year lifespan. The maintenance driven model has about a three to five year lifespan. Um, I think if you look at how leasing is going, you're going to see more and more people lease cars. And therefore, they won't own them for 10 or 12 years. Plus, the technology is so exciting that, I mean, currently, I'm leasing because I don't want to have to have a car for five years. I want to be able to, three years, flip it over because it will be a dinosaur. And so, that means that that piece of the model, we, we're going to have to reinvent ourselves. But that doesn't mean that it's not a completely exciting career opportunity because there's also all of this technology that is going to need somebody to be able to diagnose it and repair it. And odds are that sort of stuff you're going to be doing from behind a computer or some kind of vehicle interface. And you're going to be doing that stuff with your brain way more than your muscles. Just another reason why whether you're a small girl or a big, huge boy, it doesn't make any difference. You're going to be able to work on these cars either way. And uh, so I, I think that that's really that the folks that understand the IT piece and that really are up to speed on, on things like what does telematics actually mean and, and what does car connectivity mean and, and why is cybersecurity important? Um, you know, when you look at the magazines now, a lot of them are, they're, they're trying to move in that direction, but they still have to support that existing model that's out there. I just don't think it, it's going to last that much longer. I mean, look at how long breaks last on a garden variety Chevy pickup now, 80,000 miles. Yeah. If your business is built around doing brakes, you're in trouble <laughs> because they've, they've almost tripled from what they used to last. And if you look at the fluids and how much longer they last and the engines are getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, I, I just think that a lot of the things we've sort of hung our hat on have changed. Um, so, so we need to we need to look at the new things they're putting on the cars and say, hey, I can calibrate cameras and all of those sorts of things. And if you think that's simple, um, a Volkswagen alignment is 6.6 hours on a 15 Passat. Whole day job. Yeah. And several operations requiring multiple disciplines, IT, alignment skills, mechanical skills, and and also understanding how the thing works to begin with. So... To me, that's pretty exciting, and it may just mean you work on one car all day sometimes. Very true. I mean, that's and and that is, I, I'm seeing more and more that you mentioned leasing, and and uh, 
I, I'm seeing more and more of that. Uh, I still have customers that I deal with and, you know, a lot of their stuff now because they are leasing is, is maintenance items, uh, you know, that aren't covered under the lease. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and I just recently replaced a, uh, headlight bulb on a Genesis and, and the gentleman who owns the vehicle or drives it, he's leasing it. And, you know, he had no idea how to get to the headlight, but you know, it wasn't really covered under the lease. So that was, I'm seeing a lot of jobs like that. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on target with that as far as the, the repair industry is going to have to do a, a paradigm shift. Yeah. We've got ride shares that are coming down the road and, and I'm not even talking about, you know, uh, automated robot autonomous vehicles. I'm talking about just ride shares where humans are still powering, pushing them around the streets. Um, those, someone's going to have to service those because the miles the, driven on each one of those is going to be higher than the, you know, three to 5% we're used to from our customers. And that means those vehicles are going to be in the shop more often. And, you know, that, that goes back to, well, we might have a little bit more maintenance, but in the same given year, it's not like you're going to be, you know, changing the oil six or seven times, but you may got other things. And, And I've said it many times and I will say it again, don't underestimate the importance of being able to put tires on a vehicle efficiently and right. Because if you're not in the tire business, I don't think you're going to be in the auto repair business going forward unless you're absolutely a system specialist. Because it's the only thing that they haven't figured out how to make last a lot longer. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Well, Donnie, I, I, have, I have enjoyed our conversation uh, I look forward to the future conversations. Um, and, and, you know, as this industry changes, I, I, I enjoy reading your articles. I think, uh, hopefully some of our listeners start picking up those articles, whether they be yours or others and, and edu- yeah. helping to educate themselves in the industry. Yes, please. And Richard, I appreciate it very much. And yeah, it's great question. So it makes it a lot more fun. Well, I, 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 completely enjoyed it and and like i said i look forward to future uh discussions that we can we can bring to the listeners so donnie i'm going to let you go i've I've taken up a lot of your time um you know and and i guess you're in colorado today yeah believe it or not (laughs) i'm home yeah that's that's always encouraging at times too so but again i thank you i thank you for your time i thank you for the time you've given our listeners and i thank you for what you're doing for the industry uh i think it's my pleasure i i hope more people hear this this podcast and and get inspired to do something so so thank you for that thank you until we speak again thank you donnie take care Thanks for listening to this episode of Technician Academy's podcast, brought to you by Extend Performance. Be sure to rate us on iTunes or Google Play and visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Please help us spread our Respect is Learn message by liking and sharing our content on your social media platforms. Technician.academy, where respect is learned.